Depression and addiction are hard facts of life for some people. She was more than her mental illness. She was more than her addiction. And I was proud of how hard she fought, but it was bigger than her. That's Terry Roman. Her daughter, Julie, battled drug addiction and depression for years, but it was her courage and generosity that still defines her today. Julie chose to donate her heart, liver, and kidneys after her death in 2015 at the age of 28. I'm Marian Shuck, the host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to talking about creating lasting legacies through organ and tissue donation. I'm joined today by Julie's mom, Terry Roman. Terry, will you tell us about your daughter, Julie? Sure, I'd love to. Um, Julie was a very creative, fun spirit, and I really appreciate you asking about her because it makes me smile. She was a floral designer, um, only one in our family who had any art. She loved animals. And she struggled at 13 and 14 with some issues of depression and anxiety, sought help through that through many years, you know, had many years of sobriety, but also struggled with addiction that we found out in when she was 18 that she had been using heroin. So between the ages of 18 and 28 is um, when she had most of her struggles and rehabs, but had long periods of sobriety in that time too. I think it's amazing that you, you talk about depression and addiction, because in my experience, that's just something that people don't talk about. So stigmatized. What would you say about the stigmas that exist around addiction, substance abuse, depression, and why it's so important to normalize these conversations? I think it's important to normalize them because we need to look at her diseases and demons as a disease. I think oftentimes people believe it was a choice. Her depression and anxiety when she was 13, she received all kinds of help, therapists and some medications, but it wasn't really from a medical model. It was, here's a therapy, and then once you're done, or here's a rehab, and once you're done. So why can't she just get it? But to me and to most people whose um, loved ones struggle with addiction, the mental illness and the addiction came as a result of they weren't able to find anything to soothe their soul. So I think that the stigma of how my daughter died often precedes who she was. And that's why I was really grateful when you asked me to talk about my Julie, because she was more than her mental illness. She was more than her addiction. And I was proud of how hard she fought, but it was bigger than her. So I I guess I I want people to understand that stigma and get to know the whole Julie. Thank you for that. I think it's so important to highlight what you said, that it is a disease and not a choice, and that it is something that people need to understand. So what was there to support you? I've heard that you're involved in a support group called Grief Recovery After Substance Abuse Passing. Can you tell us more about that group and your involvement? Sure. Um, After Julie died, I struggled with finding support groups that were specific to um, dying of substance abuse because it felt to me, maybe it was in my mind, but it felt 
a little judgmental that, you know, oh, my child died of cancer or a, a car accident, but yours died from a choice. So I struggled and I found a gr- this group um, who's a national organization. And I went to a retreat about a year after Julie died. And as soon as I walked in the room, I had a big sigh um, because I connected with people, not only children, people who lost children, but siblings and husbands and wives and all loved ones. And um, they felt what that guy did. We kept nodding our heads as we were talking to each other. And the trauma of the addiction also brought the death to a very, very hard thing. So it's a support group, but it's also a support group that brings people out of the shadows and that we recognize that. So I started the group locally in DuPage County in 2017. And right now we have about eight to 15 regular members. Unfortunately, now we're on Zoom because of the pandemic. But these are lifelong friends and support systems. It helps me. I get a lot of gratitude for starting the group, but it helps me as much as it does me. It's a very huge part of my healing process to connect with other people who've lost ones to addiction, alcoholism, all types of things. Can you talk more about the importance of community especially during COVID-19, which has been a time that is so isolating and polarizing for so many people. What does it mean to have support and specifically in that support group that you started? Yeah, it is very important. It's important for our members who have been with me for um, for a while, but it's um, because we can stay connected. You know, somebody's having a day, bad day or whatever. We've always stayed connected. But especially for those, um, I've received about five to 10 calls within the last month or so. And it's very hard for people who have lost loved ones in this way, because not only is uh, the way they died somewhat isolating, but it's also isolating because a lot of them didn't get to have a service or didn't get to have connect with them. They didn't even get to have a hug. So um, when I see that people connect with me. I invite them to our Zoom meeting, but I also give them my phone number and possibly the phone number of someone else in the group who may have a similar story um, just to get them connected. And I found that um, people are very grateful because we've doubled down on the isolation at this point. And um, it it's almost as if now we need to be able to do that to reach out. So I'm always grateful that people reach out in some way to someone else who knows their pain. I totally agree. I've lived alone during this whole pandemic. So it's important to have those connections with someone you're able to reach out to. And you know, just making time to have a Zoom, have a FaceTime, just have a conversation is so important. What advice would you give to someone who maybe is going through this isolating time with some traumatic experience that they're too scared to reach out or they don't want to take that first step? What advice would you give to someone in order for them to take that first step? I guess I would ask them, um, sometimes the first step is not always taken by the person themselves. Sometimes it's taken by a loved one. I've received calls from, you know, husbands and brother-in-laws and, you know, children about their parents. And so if I would welcome that to tell someone about that and tell someone 
who would be able to say they've changed some habits. You know, they're sleeping more, they're eating more, they're eating less, they're all those things. So even if you're afraid to take that first step, someone around you might be able to do that. And just because you reach out to some group, one of the one of the groups um, that I've worked closely with is NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness. So if there's any, if you're not sure of a loved one's as far as their trauma or what they're thinking, they're also a great resource and they have lists of organizations um, for grief, for post-traumatic stress, and I get referrals from them also. So I guess I would just ask that people, and not only the people who are in pain, because sometimes their energy level is low, just to make sure that someone in their support system, you know, that they tell them that they are and say. And sometimes that's a lot of times the first step that a person gets to get some help. Thank you for giving your insight on that. I hope that if anyone's listening or maybe is wanting to take that first step, that they can take your advice and make that step. And can we go back to Julie's donation? Did you talk about donation with Julie before her passing? Or what was the experience to make the decision to have Julie become a donor? Um. We did, I did not know that she did. And on the day that we realized that she was not, that there was no brain activity, we decided, um, they told us from Gift of Hope that she was an organ donor. And we, we were glad. We didn't really know in all of our grief what exactly that meant. And, and of course, even within my own close family, we all kind of said, well, she was, uh, you know, had drugs in her system. Was that well? She couldn't be a tissue donor, but they had already done the work behind the scenes to make sure that she wasn't HIV positive or hepatitis. But I've learned since then that even if she was, that didn't preclude her from being her organs to be viable. So I guess we were in a haze, and I am unbelievably grateful to Gift of Hope and all the people that came to us because it was truly a gift, as they say the worst day of our life was the best day for someone else. And they guided us through it. And it really was a shining thing for us. And it also helped us to educate other people as years go by about why she was able to be, you know, people can donate organs, even if they have, if they have to tell the the recipient in their family and make that choice. But um, if it's explained to them, we got a letter right before Mother's Day the next May about a man who had six months that he had been, his liver and kidneys had taken over and no sign of rejection. Had he not, had he said no because Julie, um, how Julie died, I don't know if he would have had that new life. So we were so grateful for that. So I think it also helps with the stigma and that's why I got involved in Gift of Hope is um because I want people to know that she did make that choice. And that's something I wish I had a conversation with her before she died about, but I'm just so glad and grateful she did. Yes. Being in the field, I do hear that a lot of people come to me and say, you know what? I'm not signed up on the registry because X, Y, or Z. And I wouldn't be able to donate anyway. We just say, if it's something you're wanting to do, sign up. At that unfortunate time, Doctors and the whole staff will be able to assess if you're eligible for donation. I think it's amazing that Julie signed up and she was eligible. 
And you talked about that man who got one of her organs and sent you that letter. What was it like to receive a letter from someone who had received Julie's organs? (laughs) Well, I think I went through a box of Kleenex that day. So uh, it was amazing. It was a beautiful handwritten letter. Um, Wasn't even on a computer. And he just said that um, because of you know, he, he he also included a sympathy card um, in there um, up for us. And, um, you know, he didn't know her name or anything because that's the how a thing. But, you know, he referred to the liver and kidneys as being so, you know, so vital um, for him and that he had a new life. And, and so um, it, it was a tremendous and I truly believe that was her Mother's Day gift for me because it was it was the May. She died in September. So. That was in um, May. It was a bright spot in an otherwise really difficult day for all of us. Wow. You know, they say there are no coincidences. And the way the timeline worked out, that is amazing that you were able to hear from one of Julie's recipients. Thank you so much for joining us today. Talking about these topics is important. Because as we mentioned earlier, we want to normalize it in society so that people do not feel stigmatized. Before we go, I would just like to give you the opportunity to leave our listeners with any last words, any pieces of advice, or just anything about Julie that you'd like to share. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I miss I miss my Julie um, every day, and I know that my work with Gift of Hope is something she loved to help other people. She was a very, very sensitive person, um, and so my work with Gift of Hope, I believe, is her working through me, and to it also gives me the strength to um, stop the stigma and to help other people with this. And I'm just so grateful to Gift of Hope and all the people that I have met through it because they have, I would say, again, through that, I wish I had had that conversation ahead of time with her. But um, so I would encourage people to have those conversations so that, that you know, but either way, I'll take it. She does have a memory um, patch that my sister did, so I look for that all the time. And I'll continue my work with this amazing organization that truly was a gift of hope for so many people and and for us through our healing process. Terry, this has truly been such a pleasure to speak with you and learn about Julie and the amazing gifts she gave through donation. Thanks again for joining us today. Okay, thank you and thanks for all the work that you do. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org or by texting the word HOPE, H-O-P-E, to 51555. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor for Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a host of questions about the donation process and how it works. So we've decided to put them all on a wheel and give it a spin and answer some questions from the audience. Oh, the wheel is spinning. That's a really good one. Here we go. Question one. Will donation disfigure my loved one's body after death? The answer to that question is... When you donate your organs and tissue, it is done with the utmost care, dignity, and respect. 
The body is never disfigured and donation does not delay any funeral arrangements. Thank you all so much for those questions. This is a huge wheel and so we have a lot of information to share with you about donation facts. So please, we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to Let's Talk Hope. This podcast is produced by Rivet and to hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.